Right now, though, uh, we talked about this briefly yesterday. Um, earlier this week, Christopher Rempel of Saskatchewan was sentenced to five years in prison in connection with a crash that killed two teens and injured a third. He was two times over the legal limit and driving the wrong way on a divided highway. Two young, innocent lives lost, five years. And in Canada, that probably means he won't do two years behind bars. It reminded a lot of people of a deadly crash from 2011. Three teens killed near Beaumont. Uh, The driver in connection with that crash got eight years in jail. Three teens, eight years in jail. Uh, Sentences that to a lot of people seem awfully, awfully light, especially when we're constantly reporting on how drunk driving continues to be a plague in this country. So what is going on with the laws around drunk driving? How can a sentence that light be delivered in a case so tragic. It just doesn't seem to make sense, at least not to me. So we're going to get uh, some more legal advice on the show this morning. We're going to chat with uh, Ari Goldkind, who is a criminal defense lawyer and a legal commentator. We've had him on the show before. Uh, Ari, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time once again. Always great to be on with you. So Ari, two kids killed, five years in jail. Just, it seems wrong. It seems incredibly unfair. Well, it does, and let's get to what's going on right now as you and I speaking in a courtroom in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which is a young man going about 70 or 80 over the speed limit with a cop car behind him, Mm -hmm. smashed into a mother and her three children and killed them all, okay? Okay. And, And that family is one of the most beautiful family you could ever see. For people who don't know the case, it's called Brady Robertson. It's in court literally as we speak right now. Okay. And that young man, and this is after Marco Muzzo, which is a name you may remember. Yes, that was, man. yeah. That was the okay. supercar, that's right? Important. That's exactly right. The very wealthy man, the son of the billionaire, gets off the private jet, gets into his uh, SUV. He's three times over the legal limit to the point where he urinates himself, goes through an intersection, and kills the Neville Lake family, babies, grandparents, and the horror, I can't tell you. And the reason I introduce that as we get into this is because you would think, Shay, that after that happens, people in York region would think twice about drinking and driving. You would think watching the news, listening to you and I, yeah. watching uh, all, all the TV. It's a huge story. You know about it. Massive. Out Massive. And what's the moral of the story, which ties into the scourge of drunk driving, what's going to be done? The weekend after he was in court, and in the weekend subsequent, drinking and driving in the region of his courthouse went up to record levels. And so the point of this story, Shay, is that we're going to keep talking about this until two things happen. I don't think they'll happen, but only two things will make a difference here. If you accept, which is a flawed concept, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, I think it's a flawed concept, the idea of deterrence. For example, if this man you're asking about, Rempel, gets life in jail, will that make these kinds of crimes less likely to happen? First, Parliament has to do something about this. Now, the Trudeau government, as much as I can criticize it, till the cows come home for a whole bunch of social justice and virtue signaling reasons, took some important steps in the last uh, term to sort of close loopholes that make my job much, much harder to defend impaired driving cases. But what they also did is put in some minimums for first, second, and third driving, but that doesn't involve killing people. Right. The second thing... Yeah, but let me just say before you get to your question, the second thing, because this is where the conversation should go, and this is probably more controversial, 
is until a judge decides to go a little bit higher than precedent, to go a little bit higher than their judge last week did, or the judge in Muzzo did, until a judge runs the risk of saying, look, the maximum penalty here is life in jail. It is, Shay. Trust me on that. The maximum penalty for impaired driving causing death, dangerous driving causing death, is life in jail. Now, I'm not saying somebody should or shouldn't. Sure, but, but that, they can get that. That's, that's, that's on the books. They can be given that that's sentence. Right. That's right. And when we're talking about five-year sentences, and you sort of stole my thunder because you know something that I'm always very open about, is the, does five years mean five years? <laughs> does ten years mean ten years? You sort of stole my thunder. <laughs> now, there's very good reasons at times, and we won't waste time on our segment today talking about why serving one-third in some circumstances is quite good, and in the interest of society, not in others, but in some. But until a judge decides, Shay, to really say, look, families have been wiped out. And when it's one thing to say you're impaired, it's another thing to be driving 200 kilometers sure, an yeah. hour. Or the wrong way right, down a divided highway. You got it. And here's the thing. Judges often are very scared about being overturned on appeal. But this is the very kind of issue that I think should be catnip to a judge in Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver or Victoria to say, look, I'm going to give a sentence that reflects three or four lives taken with the worst example of drinking. Now, it can't be somebody just over the legal limit and the driving isn't horrendous. But let the Supreme Court of our country weigh in on this. And when you have Marco Muzzo, as you mentioned, and you know that case, Shay, yeah. getting 10 or 5 in this case, it sends the message that these lives don't have as much value as the life of the accused. And then there's a third idea. I'll pause here for questions because it's the one that I think should be replicated across Canada and nobody dares touch it. Okay, uh, we'll get to it in a sec. But first, you keep talking about judges, are and you're right. Ultimately, they deliver the verdict. The five year sentence. For the two kids killed um, last summer here in uh, the Edmonton area, um, was a joint submission from the Crown and the defense. So it's not just the judge. I mean, that's what he had in front of him. The prosecutors seem to be on board with this, too. And here's why I wanted to talk about the Rempel one versus an open sentencing hearing, because that's I was going there, is that you also have prosecutors who are duty-bound, and I give them credit for this, they are duty-bound to look at precedent, to look at what a situation looks like in terms of the law, and previous cases. But remember, I just smoke, screen, smoke signaled to you, there's an office in Ontario that's looking at things differently. And the, to me, Shay, and I know this will be much more boring, I don't like to be boring, but forgive me, <laughs> there is one way that I think this problem has to be approached. And until it's approached in this way, I don't think things will change. Because remember, Christopher Rempel, Marco Muzzo, Brady Robertson, are doing nothing different than thousands right. of Canadians every day, except for Rempel, Robertson, and Muzzo have the pure misfortune of going through the wrong intersection or not making it home to pass out in their bed, okay? Yep. No, I agree there with you. One, right. Now, there's one jurisdiction in Ontario, one, and it hasn't received enough national attention. It's called York Region where judges and prosecutors have started to seek real jail for first-time offenders. Not $1,200 fines, not $1,400 fines, but actual 
time in jail. And until Shay, people leave the Saddle Dome, maybe that's an old reference, until they leave um, a sports arena, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, and they know that if they have that second drink, that third drink, they may end up behind bars rather than hiring the great impaired driving lawyers in Canada to help them on a technicality, which are being closed. I think, Shay, we have to start looking at the people who make it home or get caught. Obviously, you can't catch somebody who made it home. But the people who don't kill anybody, and until those sentences change, Shay, I don't really think the public takes these things as seriously as they should. I agree with you 100%. Can I ask you to hold on for a second? We'll come back and continue the of conversation. Course, okay, of we're going to take a quick break. We're chatting with Ari Goldkind, a criminal defense lawyer, about uh, drunk driving offenses in Canada and some sentences that just don't make sense. We'll be back right after this. And we're chatting with Ari Goldkind, who is a criminal defense lawyer. We're talking about drunk driving. And Ari, we were just getting to the point that I wanted to discuss with you because not long ago, December 1st of 2020, our province changed the drunk driving laws. The people that you're talking about who don't kill somebody but get caught drunk driving, they called it strengthening the laws. It's no longer a criminal offense in some cases. You don't actually get a criminal record. Instead, you can get fines and a mandatory education program. And at the time, they billed it as being strengthening the drunk driving laws. Um, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, supported this. To me, as you were saying, if you make it home without killing somebody and you're a drunk driver, you're damn lucky. And we, we it's almost like... We're giving them a bonus or a benefit for that. And so you say, let me introduce another way to look at this. I often, and again, I defend these cases. I'm a criminal defense lawyer, but I'm not here to do anything other than try and play it down the middle. People think driving driving with alcohol in your system in Canada is illegal. It's not. You're allowed to drink up to 0.8, right? right? People often get confused. This is state-sanctioned. Drinking and driving. Now, my view is there should be zero tolerance. I've had all the arguments presented to me as if I'm in a debate club about, oh, what if you're leaving a wedding? What if you're leaving a bar mitzvah? What if you're leaving a, you know, your favorite hockey team losing sure. to an American team? I don't care. These are 2,000-ton killing machines. We know the carnage they do. And the only time, Shay, this really deeply affects Canadians in a serious way is when it's their loved ones being killed. Well, the fact that I don't know the people killed in the Rempel matter, that I don't know the family that Brady Robertson killed, that doesn't really matter to me. And one of the things that you should know, if you want to know how the sausage is made, is that one of the reasons various provinces are moving towards this fine system and getting it out of the criminal courts, and this is actually quite jarring for your audience to hear, is because impaired driving is one of the most common, if not the most common, crime in Canada. And what that means, Shay, is that Houston, we have a problem. But in courts, particularly because of COVID and even before, impaired driving trials clog up the courts more than what your audience thinks are possibly murders, sex assaults, drugs. No. Impaired driving defenses and trials take up more time in courts, and it's one of the very significant reasons courts have backlogs, and we often, you and I talk about cases being kicked out for delay. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot more here that the public is not being told, but, you know, nobody can convince me in certain circumstances. Now, again, Shay, I'm a defense lawyer. Yeah. If somebody makes an honest mistake and blows 0.81, 
isn't showing indicia of impairment, isn't swerving all over the road, they're probably somebody with that doesn't have a criminal record and probably can be rehabbed and have things in their car to make sure they're not drinking. They don't need to be a criminal. But when you get into two or three times over the legal limit and you're swerving all over the place, Shay, this is just my view. How do you justify a homeless person going to jail for 30 days for stealing a sandwich in Canada, which does happen, Yeah. but somebody who does the example I just gave you pays a $1,200 fine. Yes, their insurance takes a hit, but we're talking by and large of people that can afford cars in the first place, which I assure you in my province, Shay, many people can't even afford a car. Well, that's the thing, Ari. I mean, the bottom line, you know, in the old saying, the punishment should fit the crime, and it just, it doesn't. It doesn't. And here's the, you can't and say here's that. here's a way to look at it. And here's a way to look at it when you use a term that I like. The punishment should fit the crime. The way our system works, and I'm very critical about this, and I take heat for it, you can well uh, appreciate, I don't care. I don't see the crime as different. The law does, the criminal code does, but I don't see the law as different. If you're two or three times over and you get caught at a ride program or a spot check, or you mow into a family, what you did is no different just because lightning struck a good way or the other way. Exactly. I agree with you 100%, Ari. Uh, Always great insight. Love having you on the show. Thanks so much. We'll do this again. Anytime. Ari Goldkind, criminal defense lawyer and uh, legal commentator.